We were over in Acts chapter 8 tonight. The last time we were together, we looked at Stephen's message that he spoke in front of the religious leaders who were not very Christian-like at all. But anyway, they were the religious leaders of the day. We saw here so far in Acts that we've had some very anointed uh, sermons. Peter had had the uh, one that was brought out and just uh, changed one word in a prophecy and it just altered all sorts of things. And that came to him by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This from a man who couldn't get things right before. We saw uh, Stephen's message in Acts chapter 7 as he went over the history of Israel and the things we learned from his message on, on that. We saw that... Uh, a famine was was prophesied to be coming. God told Abraham there's going to be a, or told the, the Israelites, family of Israel, there's going to be a famine. Joseph was going to be the one who's going to go ahead beforehand and to protect that. We know that famine's not the will of God. Famine kills, destroys, takes away wealth from, from folks. It's not the will of God. And yet it still happened because many things happen on this earth that are not the will of God. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just because things happen to you in this life does not mean God willed it. God did not will for that to happen. God had promised Israel would be uh, in a foreign land for 400 years. They ended up being captives, and God even prophesied that. Did God desire the children of Israel to be, prof- to be captives, slaves? No, but they sowed the seeds for that by selling Joseph into slavery. And as they did that, they brought their entire country into a place of slavery. God did not intend for that to happen. That did happen. God did not lead them down to Egypt so that they would become slaves. But in the acts of what they did, that's what, the, that's what came about. We saw that God had said for 400 years, it ended up being 430. God was not wrong. Moses' disobedience caused that to be extended. He jumped into the plan of God 10 years before the time. At 390 years, he jumped into the plan of God. Should have been waiting. And getting himself ready. Just because you hear the call of God does not mean you are ready for the call of God. And he needed to wait those 10 years and God would have led him into a place where he would have been able to do it. Instead, he retreated out to the wilderness and hung out there ignoring the voice of God until God finally came on a burning bush and he got his attention. And uh, reluctantly, Moses came on back and worked to become the deliverer for, for Egypt or for, to bring them out of, out of Egypt. So this week, we're over here in... Acts chapter 8, and Saul, we saw that he was uh, there when Stephen was being stoned. This seems to be the beginning of Saul getting involved in the persecution of the church. In verse 1, it says, now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Well, the word there for consenting, I looked it up, and it means to permit, to approve, or agree, comply, or yield. Saul was consenting. By the end of the uh, verse 3, he is no longer just consenting. He is involved. There's a difference between consenting and being involved. Now, I put in your outline here that observing is not always consenting. Sometimes you have been observing of things and you're not consenting to them. But Paul was consenting in this. He was observing and he was consenting to it. And eventually he got involved in this. So Saul goes from consenting to the death of Stephen to an active participant in the death of others. 
I put in your outline that not everything we consent to do we become complicit in. Just because you observe a thing does not mean that you became complicit in it. Saul did in this particular case, but it does not mean that you always do. I put in your outline, there are some things we are in a position to change and others we would have to be out of position to affect a change. This is important for you to note because a lot of times people get themselves out of a position purely to affect the change. So I put this question for you. Which is worse, to be in a position to change a thing and not or to get out of position to bring about change? <laughs> There's a question to be pondering over for a little while. If you are in a position to change something and do not, then you'll be guilty of what the Word of God says. You're able to do good and do not. You withhold it. But if you get yourself out of position to enact a change, is that good? Absolutely not. You've got to be very mindful of your position. One of the temptations the devil did of Jesus was to get him out of position to effect a change. And that would have been extremely bad. The thing that Adam and Eve did was they got themselves out of position to effect the change. Sometimes if you are in a position to effect the change, the enemy wants to keep you idle. But other times he wants to stir up your desire to get you to do something when you really shouldn't. There are some things you are not in a position to change. There are some things you are not in a position to alter or influence. And you need to recognize it and just say, you know what? I'm not going to do anything about that. Here's a place that where a lot of people live on this. How many people you see somebody from afar? You have no relationship with them at all. You observe them. And you see that they're getting off from the Word of God, that they have missed it, they have done something wrong. But you are not in a position with that person in your relationship to affect any kind of change. What should you do? Well, what some people do is they get themselves out of position and they feel compelled to go over and say something to them with no relationship at all. What does that do? That doesn't help those people out at all. It doesn't, not, not one bit. They're just going to become more resistant to that. You're not in a position. What you could do is work yourself into a position by loving them, caring for them, and get yourself in a position where they want to hear what you have to say. That you could do. But if you're not, there's another thing people do, is they talk to people around them about that person and why they're wrong. You're not in a position to make a change. Don't bother with it. Don't, you're not, it's, it's not your responsibility. You're not in a place to do it. You know, that's in some of the things that, that I get to do, I get to see uh, some, some of the inside information on some ministers and, and things. And, and sometimes you see some stuff that they've taught or done, and they're getting off. They've gone in the wrong direction. I'm not in a position to alter their direction. Other people are. So I keep my mouth shut about it. I don't need to be saying anything about it. If I put myself in that position, I remember seeing a thing Brother Hagin shared with us one time, that there was a minister who had gotten off. And he didn't really know him, but he was with a group of ministers and they were talking about it. And they asked him, he says, what do you think about this? And they described the situation. He says, well, it sounds like he, uh, he messed up. And that was it. He didn't really say anything more about it. He just said, well, it sounds like, you know, it's, he, didn't, he didn't do so good. That he messed up on that. And God, I mean, God came after him on that one. And I forget all the ins and outs about it, but it, it got his attention. And uh, <laughs> God says, who are you to judge my minister? 
I said, well, I wasn't judging him. The people just asked me a question whether that was good or not. And he says, well, you don't know what his, you, you haven't walked in his shoes. You don't know what pressure that man was under. You have no idea. And he said, if you had been in that position, you might not have fared as well. And he said, you're right. I repent. I'm sorry. Because <laughs> he's, he's always one who's quick to repent. And so he repented. And, you know, you just learned that lesson. If you're not in a position to affect the change, keep your mouth shut. If you want to affect the change, get yourself in a relationship. Put yourself in a place where you're not judging the person, but you're loving them into the family. You got to understand that, that in the in the things of God, God is not just about eradicating sin. Too often Christians get into a position where we want to eradicate sin. We want to correct falsehood. We want to bring light where there is darkness. But most of the time you look at Jesus' ministry and Jesus was building relationships. When he built the relationship, he was then able to affect the change. Look at a couple of people in his, that he affected a great change for. Remember Zacchaeus? Great change came to that man's life and Jesus never one time said, hey, you're, you're doing this. He went over to his house. He said, I'm coming to your house for dinner. Came over to his house and who knows what all happened at the, at the dinner, but it doesn't seem like he was talking about all his sins and all the things he'd messed up in. Work to build a relationship. And then out of that, people may sometimes ask you, what do you think about this? How about what's going on with this? Now, there are certain places where there's an ex uh, uh, a little bit of a uh, deviation from that. You'll see that some of the prophets spoke to some of the kings and some of the people in authority in a very harsh manner without a relationship. That's because these people were affecting others and they would be dealt with it differently. So but we're, we're not uh, correlating it to that. But anyway, that's a whole other another thing. Let's get back over here to Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Now, Jesus had told them when he ascended, he said, go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So that was the order in which they were supposed to go. So they had gone into Jerusalem. They had gone into Judea, but they hadn't gone into Samaria yet. And so uh, persecution came and that chased them into it. Mm -hmm. So they finally did get going into the Samaria and then eventually into the other most parts of the world. The persecution that came up from the, uh, on the church is really what drove them to get out into these other places. Antioch was filled with Christians because they fled the persecution that was going on in Jerusalem. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. It's neat that they went, didn't just go everywhere. They went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Now, Philip, one of the, the, one of the deacons. We saw Stephen. We're now up to, to Philip. And so he went to the city of Samaria. Samaria is not only a region. It is also a city. It was a city that was built by Omri, one of the kings of Israel. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Now, you first read that, you say, how do you hear a miracle? <laughs> Verse 7, for unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed. Well, there's a hearing. There's a hearing some of the miracles that were going on. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. There's the seeing. So we had hearing and seeing. They were hearing and seeing some remarkable things. And it says that there was great joy in the city. So Philip, he goes to Samaria, he preaches Christ to them. Philip does not have an extensive arsenal of teaching. We're going to see the Word of God describes his arsenal of teaching in two areas. 
And that's it. But he's an evangelist. He does not need a huge arsenal. He needs to understand what his calling is and, and go after it. So multitudes are heeding the things that are said. We all like people to heed the things that we say, but we don't always have the actions to go along with it. He did. But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great. How many folks we got in this world that claim to be someone great? And this is him. Simon claimed to be someone great. And he had some signs and wonders. He had some miracles. Some things were going on. And so people had put stock into the guy to whom they all gave heed. Well, it says they gave heed to Philip with the signs and things that he was doing. But they had previously given heed to Simon. Now, Simon could have reacted a couple of ways. One way he could have been said, could have gone after Philip. Get out of here. You're taking away my influence. But he didn't. He ended up getting born again himself. To whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. One of the things that is remarkable is the how many people that are in the Christian church go by the name of believer, go by the name of Christian, and cannot tell the difference between falsehood with signs and wonders and what is true. I think it's, it's, it's quite notable. And you'll especially notice this, that Christians who cannot tell the difference are Christians who are also swayed very easily. Swayed in their life, swayed in their area of guidance, swayed in their belief of what is true in the Word of God, swayed, yeah, I believe this, this is what the Word is saying, and somebody else will come along and teach them something, oh yeah, yeah, I believe it's this way. And then somebody else will come along and teach them, oh yeah, yeah, I believe it's this way. There's no staying power with those folks. That's why they, uh, they go after these things. And they get what they have. There's no stability with them. They, that's, that's what they get. No, we need to be a little more resistant to, to some of these things. We should be able to tell the Simons in the world. We should be able to tell the people who go around and they say, I'm a Christian. They go around and they say, look at the church that I go to. Look at the church I'm a part of. They go around and they, uh, they tout the word of God or they say that they believe in God. They say they believe in Jesus. Now, I've heard some people even say some things about the word of God. They say that's not even in there. But I've heard people, Christians, say, oh, you hear what so-and-so said? Oh, they're a Christian. I know they're a Christian. That's not even in the Bible. But they don't know it. We should be able to, to distinguish the Simons in the world and not fall prey to them. But these folks did. The people of Samaria, they fell prey to this guy. But he did get born again. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. He astonished them with, their, with his sorceries for a long time. Well, sometimes sorceries look like the power of God. Remember over in the, in the Egypt, when the power of God came, what did the sorcerers do? They mimicked it. They copied it. Until they finally got to a place and said, we can't copy this one. <laughs> we can't do this one. And, and God's just messing with them up there. He says, oh, yeah, they can probably do this. How about this one? Yeah, yeah, they got that one. Yeah, I'm, I'm just getting started, man. <laughs> And God just, he's just playing around with them. And, uh, and they, they went ahead and, and Pharaoh's heart was turned because of the sorceries of his, his, uh, magicians. His heart was hardened because of it. Well, verse 12, but when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. And when they believed Philip, there has to be a belief that comes. No matter what message you get, there is going to be some faith that's going to come with it. Whether you believe in uh, Darwinism or uh, evolution or 
Big Bang Theory or whatever it might be, there's going to be some faith in it because you weren't there. Faith is just believing the things that are unseen by the things that are told to us. just depends on what you're going to put your faith into or what people around us are going to put their faith into because we're all faith people. So Philip was an evangelist, and the Word of God tells us that he preached two things. First off, the things concerning the kingdom. He preached the things concerning the kingdom. Apparently, this was a favorite topic of Jesus, too. Jesus preached a lot about the kingdom. So he preached the things concerning the kingdom, and he preached the name of Jesus Christ. Those are the two things he, he taught. As an evangelist, that works out just fine. As an evangelist, that's all. You only need to teach a couple of things. Because you're going around in different places. Your purpose is, is different. Your purpose is to get people born again. Your purpose is to get people uh, to get their attention. You're going to have signs and wonders and miracles are going to happen very prominently through evangelist ministries. Uh, but there's, there's nothing there for staying power. But that's not what their purpose is. Philip understood his purpose. He didn't try and expand all the areas of teaching. He didn't try and become a Paul. He didn't try and become a Peter. He didn't try and become a James. He didn't try and become a John. He was Philip. And he taught these two things. And that was good. I remember one person who was an evangelist, and I used to say often about him, so they got six areas they can really teach. Boy, I'll tell you what, they can teach good. And they taught those six areas really well. Outside of those six areas, they were flat. Nothing. That person eventually became a pastor. You can't be a pastor to teach on six areas. That's not going to work. And it didn't work there either. There were some, uh, some problems that came about. There, I, know, I know one person, I listen to him a lot. He, he's real good on one or two areas. But you get him to teach the Bible, he's dry as a dog. I'll tell you, just dry as can be. I, I heard him once or twice teach the Bible. I said, oh, this is awful. This is awful. It's not going to hold my interest at all. Uh, just was, wasn't there. But you get him on those topics... And he goes around and he ministers on those, those couple of topics and he's phenomenal. He's helping people out, setting people free, doing all kinds of things. Know where you're called to be and do it. And don't get pulled off because so-and-so can do this or this one can do this. No, you, you do what you're supposed to do and you go after it. So he knows what he's supposed to do, Philip, and he, he stays in these two areas. Then Simon himself also believed and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. I think it speaks highly of Simon to leave a lifestyle that you were in before to go after this one is, is pretty remarkable. And he didn't try and be the head dog. He was there. He's helping Philip. He continued with Philip. He's helping Philip out. And that shows people you, I was wrong in the way I was going before. I'm going this way now. I think that speaks pretty good of Simon. My hope is that we see Simon up in heaven. Verse 14, now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. Why? Because Philip only does two things. <laughs> they, they need something more now. All right, if we got them born again. We got them in the family. We got them baptized. <laughs> we got them healed. We got them set free. <laughs> we got to do something else. Well, what's the more that they needed? Who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Did we hear anything about Philip ministering on the Holy Spirit? No. Philip doesn't seem to minister in the Holy Spirit. It's not that Philip doesn't believe in the Holy Spirit. It's not that Philip doesn't uh, believe the same things that Peter and John do. But that's, um, that's apparently not an area that he's real proficient in. Whereas Peter and John can come on down and just start laying hands on people and they all start getting filled with the Spirit. That's all right. 
When they came down and prayed for them, they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. Why? Because that's not where Philip was going. <laughs> Philip didn't teach on the Holy Spirit. He taught on the name of Jesus and the kingdom of God. That's it. That's probably all you need to get them saved. Those two things. You know, get people saved. So they sent uh, Peter and John. Peter and John, we need to send you over there. Philip's doing a great work. We've got some people born again, but you know, they're going to need some more stuff. So you need to get up there. So they went on up there. And Philip doesn't see them coming and says, hey guys, I, I got this handled. Come on, don't come in here. I got this thing started. He doesn't do that. He welcomes them on in. Oh good. Yeah, we got all these people born again and they need the Spirit of God. Come on in here. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, because that's what they were taught. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, that's, that's a pretty passive verse right there for what's actually going on. Verse 18. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what's interesting. Whatever Peter and John did when they laid hands on them, whatever manifested when the Holy Spirit came upon them, this impressed Simon. This is the guy who was involved in sorcery and did great signs and wonders himself, got people involved in, in following after him, heeding his words. And when he saw Philip, he got in line with Philip, but he never asked Philip, hey, whatever you're doing, I want to be able to do that. He never says that. But when Peter and John comes, something is going on. He sees something powerful. And for them, he says, hey, can I give you some money? Will you... <laughs> Because he just wanted to be able to, I don't know that this is such a bad thing for, for Simon. He's coming out of a sorcerer's background, and that's probably how they increased power back then, was pay money to somebody. He's, he sees something that's appealing to him. He wants to do more in the kingdom of God. I didn't see Philip doing this. this I see these guys doing it. Maybe they'll, maybe for money we can, we can get that. But Peter said to him, your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter. He didn't say being born again. He said in this matter. For your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. That's pretty strong. You might think, you know, okay, Peter, Philip might be coming up and saying, Peter, give him a break. He's brand new. He just got born again. He used to be a sorcerer. I mean, we want to try and help this. He had all kinds of influence in the city. And now he's bringing that influence to bring him over to the kingdom of God. And you want to stomp on him? But look what he goes on to say here. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Where did that come from? Have we seen anything in this story that tells us that Simon is bound by bitterness? Philip comes along, he accepts him. He repents and becomes born again. But Peter sees into this. I see that you are bound by bitterness or, or poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Well, he saw that by the Spirit of God. And Simon apparently knows this. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm bitter. Simon doesn't say who he's bitter at. That's not his job to tell him that. He's just there pointing it out. You're bitter and you got iniquity. Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. Again, we see, a, I think this is just speaking great of Simon. This is the second time he's been corrected. First one, Philip came in and he got born again. And then Peter comes in and slaps him upside the head 
And he says, pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. He just submits to it. Yeah, you know what? That's fine. I think I am. Uh, you you pray, pray the Lord for me. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So they went to Samaria, preached the gospel there, and on the way back hit some more towns and, and did some more things in, in that area. But uh, Peter and John, they came in and they uh, functioned in their area. They did what they needed to do. Verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. How would you like the Lord to, to come up inside of you and just say, Go on over here. Go on over here to that intersection. Go on over here to that store. Go on over here to that mall. And he just comes up on the inside of you and he says this. Now, we don't know how he said it. We don't know if it was an outward voice. We don't know if it was a strong inward voice. We don't know if it was a leading. How it came, but it says, describes it as an angel, an angel, not the angel, an angel of the Lord, spoke to Philip saying, arise and go toward the south along the road which goes toward from Jerusalem to Gaza. So however strong this was, whether it was an angel who actually made an appearance as it was with Joseph or whatever other way that it would have been done, he listens, goes on down. So he rose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship. What did he come to Jerusalem to do? Why do you come to Jerusalem? To worship Jehovah. The only reason to go to Jerusalem. If you're going to worship the, uh, you know, some of the, the gods of other cities, you go to that city. But he came from Ethiopia... To Jerusalem. Not a, not a small trek. He came all the way up there to Jerusalem to worship. He's now on his way back. When he gets to Jerusalem, what does he see? He sees the people that killed Stephen. He sees their attitude. He sees the people who uh, uh, tried to silence Peter and John. Don't know how long he's been in the city. But these things have only been going on for a couple of weeks. He was probably there while some of this was going on. He may have been there when Stephen was stoned. Don't know. Don't know how long he was there. Don't know how long exactly it was that Stephen was stoned before this. But at any rate, the people, the authorities of the city, we know what they, if he went there and was asking them some questions, we know what kind of stuff he got. And he may come out of there confused. Now look at this. You got to you got to really read this. It's it's real plain what's happening in here, but sometimes we just skip over some of these details. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority. The Jews do not think highly of eunuchs. They don't they don't like this. But Philip was called to go minister to him. Queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury. So this is the guy who's in charge of all her money. He's got to be trustworthy. He worked his way up to this position. And had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. When you see the story, you're going to find out that his mission to Jerusalem was a failure. That's why Philip is sent out after him. Because God is impressed with this man. And he wants what he came to Jerusalem for to be fulfilled. But he's going home with a failure. How do you know that? It's real easy. And sitting in his chair, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Now, we are kind of, we'll, we'll lose what happens here. But that is a powerful verse. 
in not just what he was reading, that he was reading Isaiah. What is powerful about this is that he does not have an iPad. He does not have an Android phone. He does not have a pocket New Testament or Old Testament. He has a scroll. Scrolls are rare. The scrolls are kept at the temple. And they're unrolled and people read them. If you wanted to read the Bible for the day, you went down to the temple. If your temple happened to have a scroll. You may not have had scrolls for all the Old Testament. Maybe you only had some. You may have to go to travel to some other ones to be able to read it over there. That's how difficult it was to read. This man has a scroll. The Jewish people keep these things under great care. He has one. Maybe because he serves with the queen, she was able to procure one, and whatever it was, he has a scroll. He took this scroll. This is highly valuable. This is not something that was written last week. This is a highly valuable scroll. He carries this with him from Ethiopia all the way up to Jerusalem. And he's going back and he's still reading the same passages because he's leaving Jerusalem without an understanding of the scriptures that brought him there. And so he begins to read. And he says, I don't, I don't understand. And God calls Philip and says, Philip, I want you to go over to this man and I want you to help him out. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah, the prophet. Now, where is Ethiopia? That's south. It is in the northern part of Africa. Has anyone from Jerusalem taken the Christian message to Africa? Not yet. I will bet when we get to heaven, we're going to find out that this man is one of the ones who took the message to the nation of Africa. And the nation of Africa was extremely receptive to the word of the gospel. Who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship was returning and sitting in his chariot where he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Thus says, whoops, uh, I've actually pulled over a passage I wanted to pull out. This is probably not the one he was reading, but I want you to read a passage. He has a scroll of Isaiah. I want you to read a passage that he might have read. It's just a few chapters away from where he was reading. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness for my salvation is about to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who lays hold on it, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying the Lord has utterly separated me from his people, nor let the eunuch say, here I am a, a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs, who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. Even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place in a better name than that of the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and love the Lord, love the name of the Lord to be his servants. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. If you were this eunuch 
would this scripture have meant something to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sure would have. Mm-hmm. You're a foreigner and you're a eunuch. And what's it saying about you? You guys are welcome. Hey, <laughs> come on. You got a place in the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. I think that got his attention. Mm-hmm. Verse 29 in, in Acts. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? Now, if it seems funny to you that he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, how many, t- when you are reading at home, no one hears you. But that's a new phenomenon. It used to be that when people read, they read out loud. It was, it's a fairly newer phenomenon that people read in their heads. Most of the time, people read out loud. So when this guy was reading, he was reading the way most people did in his day. Out loud, Philip heard it. And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? Do you understand what you, <clears throat> what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? What do you think he came to Jerusalem for? Guidance. Guidance from someone where these things came from. Help me understand the scripture. And he left what? Not understanding. His, his mission was a failure. Can you imagine coming all that way from Ethiopia with a scroll, with questions, getting to Jerusalem, and leaving without them, without them being answered. And God says, Philip, Philip, you did great over here. I need you to go somewhere. Go on over there and catch that guy. He's important. I need you to get him. And Philip did. He went over there and did what he said. And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture where he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. <laughs> it's his area of expertise. And you'll look, this guy here, he is good at preaching Jesus. Cause he, cause he got, he goes from the beginning of scripture and he takes them all the way on through. And he preaches Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. So apparently the chariot's still moving. And Philip might be thinking, you know, I don't need to go this way. Can we just stop? He didn't do that. He just, they, the chariot's moving. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's a good confession right there, isn't it? That's exactly what you need to believe. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. Both Philip and eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Now, when they came up out of the water... The spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Well, he finally got the answer. And can you imagine that? Guy's baptizing you and you come up out of the water and shoot, he's gone. He's taken away. Man, was that, was that an angel? Was that, did that even happen? Was that real? And he went away. He went, he went rejoicing. Oh, this was, this was a great, I am so glad I made this trip. But when he left Jerusalem, I bet he wasn't too happy he made the trip. Not too much good came out of it. So he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotas. And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Now, Azotas is better known to us as Ashdod, one of the cities of the Philistines. 
It is not that far from where he was. Understand Judea, all of Israel, is about the size of New Jersey. It's not that big. And so he was in the southern area already, and Ashdod is in the southern area as well. So it was some miles that he went, and he was translated, and God just took him. God just plucked him out of there and says, all right, you did this assignment great. Now i got another one for you. And he plopped him over there in the city we know as Ashdod. Here it's called Azatas. And he began to, what did he do? Preach Jesus. <laughs> so passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Caesarea is up in the northern area. So he's, he, northern area of Samaria. So he just started over there in Ashdod and just worked his way up the coast and went right on up to Caesarea. Not Caesarea Philippi. That's different. This is Caesarea. Caesarea Philippi is not in Israel. I believe that's, uh, that's why they had the, uh, notation there. A lot of times they have the same towns and same names and so they kind of just help us out with that. So anyway. So Philip works his way on up. This is the next assignment. This is the assignment God gave him. So he goes out there and he preaches the, the things he needs to do. Preaching Jesus, the name of Jesus, preaching the kingdom, getting people saved. All the people come along, get people filled. My job is get them saved, get them healed, get them set free. And he does it well. And God says, yeah, do this so well. You can go on over here and do this. I put this in your outline for us. That one of the most important things for us to to know is to know your place or your role. Know it. What has God called you to do? Understand your role. Understand your place in the kingdom. You need to. You can put it also put in your calling. What is your role? What is your place? Once you know that, become proficient in it. Become proficient in it. Don't just be satisfied with doing the best that you can do. Become proficient in it. Whatever it is that you do, you become the best at it. I'm going to do this better than anyone else ever has. I'm going to seek after God. He's going to tell me ways of doing things, of getting this thing done, whatever it might be. And it doesn't have to just be in in areas that we think are are ministry-oriented. It can be in areas of of cleaning the church. It can be in the areas we talked about before, locking up a church. It can be in the areas of uh, some of the helps ministries that go along. It can be in the areas outside of the church, ministering to people, witnessing to people, sharing with people, praying with people. What is your role? What is your place? And don't look at other people and try and take their role. Become proficient in the role that you have. God, you called me to do this. Philip became proficient in what he did. You could throw him in any situation and say, Philip, preach Jesus. Okay? And he's ready. He's, he's ready at that. When John and Peter came, and they were coming to get people filled, he didn't say, you know what? I, I need to be able to do that more so I don't have to have you guys come up. No. That's your role. Do it. And Peter and John became very proficient at that role. They did, they did well with it. Philip did very good on his role. Become proficient in it. Look to see the importance of it. We've talked about this often. See the grandness of your call. If it's not grand to you, it never will become one. Never will, be, will become grand. You've got to see it as grand. You've got to see it as great. You've got to see it as vital. No matter what it is that you do, 
you can make it vital. You can make it important. Become proficient in it. Last, be satisfied. Be satisfied. What God has called you to, be satisfied in it. The enemy is always trying to get us to be unsatisfied with what we have, with where we are, with what we're doing, and get us to move on, move out, move somehow. He, he always wants to do that. Because if he gets you to move out, then you cut off some of those associations that God had put in your life to help you. If he gets you to move out, you're no longer doing the thing that God wants you to do, that God gifted you to do, that God needs you to do in the kingdom, and that's not being done anymore. If he can get you to become unsatisfied, you're going to try and seek satisfaction someplace else. And you'll miss God. Be satisfied. I put it also in there. Guard against envy. We are never to envy. Poor people are not to envy rich people. People with big cars are not to envy people with small cars. People with small cars are not to envy people with big cars. Just don't do it. Be satisfied with what you have. You know, you could be over there in the gas station, filling up. A little Prius pulls up behind you. And they pull up and they're done in five minutes. In two minutes, maybe. It's zip, they're, they're out here. And you'd be saying, oh, I wish I had a car like that. And your car's taking 15 minutes to fill it up. Mm-mm. No, so you'd be, you'd be happy with what you got. You, whatever it is that you need, whatever it is that you have, thank God for it every day. Be always grateful. Father God, I thank you. For what I, I thank you for my car. I thank you for my house. I thank you for the ministry that you gave me. I thank you for the context that you gave me. Always, always, always be thankful. When people can, when the enemy can work envy into us, we stop being thankful. We become jealous. I want what they have. I want that ministry. I want to do these kind of things. Don't do it. The reason that you are seeking after or envying after someone else's stuff is because you don't see the value of your own. And the enemy has caused you to lose sight of the value of what you have. Don't lose sight of it. If you have lost sight of it, it is no one else's fault but yours. That's the thing you've got to realize. Philip took what was his role, his ministry. He made it huge. He made it so big that God says, Philip, you are so valued to me, valuable to me at what you do, that Peter and John may walk to their next location, but I'm going to zap you over there. We're going to just, because I, I need you over here now. I need you over here for that eunuch. I could call all these, I could call people that are closer. But Philip, you're the guy. You're the one that can help this out. You're the one that when I say go over there to that chariot and minister to him, you're not going to question because he's a eunuch. You're not going to question because he's from Ethiopia. You're not going to question because of anything else. You're just going to go do it. And what did Philip do? He went and did it. He didn't say, well, I don't know if I want to. Remember the uh, prophet sent over to Paul? I don't know if I want to. I don't know if I really want to do that, God. God says, no, you will. (laughs) You will go out there and you will do that. Know your place. Know your role. Become proficient in what your role is. Become the best at it. And never be satisfied with good enough. Become better at it. And be, be, be satisfied in it. Always be looking to get better. Do it better. Guard against envy. Things we see here as the church begins to open up and begins to go is that people knew their role, people had a role, and they functioned in it, and the church worked. 
Church doesn't work sometimes because some people haven't taken their role. And other people are stepping in and filling in that role and doing that role instead. Don't miss out fulfilling your role. Take it seriously. Because as you are ministering in that role, God can, if it's part of the plan, he'll move you on into another. I think I told you the story before, but when I was, um, I knew early on uh, in high school that I, or not early on, but my senior year in high school, I was called to be a pastor. But I didn't start out as a pastor. I was in a church and I was a youth pastor. I gained such satisfaction as being a youth pastor. I said it often to God. I said, God, I know you called me to be a pastor. But if all you ever want me to be is stay here and be a youth pastor, I want you to let, let you know I am satisfied. <laughs> I am having a ball. I am enjoying myself. And this is, this is fun. But, you know, it didn't, it didn't stay that way. And God began to eventually move me on into other things. And we found other people to take up the, the role that I was doing there and moved on to something else. But be satisfied. Their lack of satisfaction has nothing to do with what you do. It has everything to do with who you are. And God wants to make you into somebody special. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us in seeing the value of what it is you have called us to do. It's important. We have a role. We need to do that role. No one can stop us from performing the role that you've given us because you gave it to us. But we stop ourselves because we've fallen into envy. We've fallen into strife. We've fallen into dissatisfaction. We've fallen into the feeling of being powerless and helpless. Father, we need to shake all those things off and understand no matter what it is that you called us to do, you've equipped us to be good at it. And we thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.